Rivalries are what drives this sport. Forget the titles and the money, it's all about the bad blood. People love drama. But the thing is, there's a sweet spot. If you go overboard with things or it drags out too long, then instead of everything ending with a satisfying crescendo, everybody's just tired and glad that it's finally done or wishes it would be over if it's still ongoing. So today we're gonna take a look at some beefs that got overcooked. They may have had their moments, they may have had great fights, but when the dust settled, most fans were more than ready to move on. Let's reminisce over some of the most draining feuds in the sport, shall we? I'm Tommy from MMA On Point, and these are the 10 most exhausting rivalries in MMA history. Number 10. Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier The first bout in this trilogy doesn't really play into the exhaustion. It was during Conor's rise to stardom and was great. Seven years later, McGregor was now the biggest star in the sport's history, but hadn't really been doing a whole bunch of fighting. And while there was of course interest in the bout with Poirier, who was pretty damn popular as well at that point, the fight didn't feel particularly important, and Conor was, well, not Conor. He was very nice. He wore glasses a lot. He was acting like a dad. Dustin gave him hot sauce. They agreed to do some charity. Then the fight happened, and oh man. McGregor's first ever TKO loss. That next week, the rumors of the rematch had begun, and it was like, okay, I guess so, sure. This is where things would get tiring. Instead of getting the mythical quote 2016 Connor for the trilogy bout at UFC 264, we got this new meaner Connor with an unhinged edge. The trash talk got ugly, with a lot focusing on Dustin's wife. The fight already didn't feel warranted given the previous outcome, and now the build was just not fun. Had the fight ended normally, I think this one probably wouldn't have made the list. But with the leg break and the meltdown post-fight, talking about killing Dustin's family, and knowing that that outcome would mean very likely a fourth fight, this one got tiring real fast. And they're still talking to this day. While I have no doubt if they did run it back, it would sell well, I'm not exactly looking forward to more of it. Number 9. George St. Pierre and Nick Diaz When Nick Diaz was set to come to the UFC after his incredible strike force run, the hype couldn't have been any bigger for a potential matchup with George St. Pierre. They had very different styles, they were very different people, and Nick was considered by many the best outside the UFC at that point. Could he dethrone the welterweight king? It looked like we were going to find out right away. UFC 137 was to be headlined by the pair, but Nick skipped a media appearance, got demoted down to a fight with BJ Penn, and then GSP ended up pulling out of his replacement fight with Carlos Condit because of a knee injury. It was a big old mess, but Diaz versus Penn was a classic, which led to a fantastic callout by Nick of St. Pierre post-fight. Where you at, George? Okay, the hype was even bigger now. The fight was then scheduled for three months later at UFC 143. Two months before, though, GSP pulled out, Carlos Condit stepped in. Diaz won 2-5, but no, he lost the decision and it appeared this epic showdown was never going to happen. But George survived NBK's head kick, and even though he was coming off a loss, the UFC gave Nick another shot at 158. Third time's a charm. After all the build-up, all the talk, the stupid delays, we were finally here. Of course, before we actually got to the bout, fight week would be a fiasco. Diaz's camp was talking about secret weight allowances for the champ. Literally during the card before the fight, Jake Shields is tweeting about suspicious raps. The fight ended up not being the competitive classic we hoped for. It was a one-sided 25-minute display of dominance by St. Pierre. This should have been the end of it, but it was not. Next came strange stories from Nick's team about being poisoned before the fight, about suspicious drug tests, the weigh-in, on and on. They were talking about rematches for years. Everything that happened afterwards really dragged this rivalry down. Until they shook hands last year at 266. That was neat. Number 8. Luke Rockhold and Michael Bisping. I don't know if you know this or not, but Michael Bisping's a pretty spectacular trash talker. No one gives a fuck, Josh. Luke Rockhold, not so much. And so a lot of times the interactions between 
between them, while hilarious, gave off such uncomfortable energy. Their initial issues with each other came from a comment Bis being made while Rockhold was still Strikeforce middleweight champion about a sparring session they had. This information didn't really become relevant, though, until their first meeting leading up to Fight Night Sydney in 2014. The trash talk was your typical Bis being fair, lots of awkward Luke Rockhold moments. Who the fuck have you knocked out? Nobody. Who have you knocked out? The fight ended with Luke earning a sub, and afterwards, the two seemed pretty cordial, likely to never meet again. That was until two and a half weeks out from UFC 199. Now middleweight champion Rockhold needed a new opponent on short notice, and the count stepped in. Considering how little time there was, the buildup for this one felt like they had a world tour and six months. Mike was, of course, cutting like a knife in every promo, every interview, the pre-fight presser. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> The guy was on fire. You could tell they clearly didn't really like each other. The fight itself was, of course, a stunner, with the Count's journey to gold one of the most epic in MMA history. But this one stayed its welcome just a bit too long. After the fight, a buzzed Bisping and a shocked Luke Rockhold sat a few feet from each other, and this presser felt like they were promoting a third fight. But they weren't. They were just talking shit to each other. Hey, buddy, you, you gotta knock the fuck dick. out. I definitely get why a lot of people really enjoyed this presser. Some humble pie for Luke. Mike was hilarious. For me personally, this is where the rivalry got exhausting. I laughed, but I cringed a lot. I know I'm probably not in the majority on that, though. Of course, things would continue between them all the way up through the end of Bisbean's career, and while it seemed like that third fight would be inevitable, that's not how it worked out, and so the end of their saga went on just a bit too long, as a lack of a wrap-up left us all feeling unresolved and unfulfilled. How's that for you? At least they made up recently, though. Number 7. Chael Sonnen and Vanderlei Silva Timing is everything in mixed martial arts, and that goes for its greatest storylines, too. Things go on too long, and all the air gets taken out of the rivalry sales. A great example of that is Chael Sonnen and Vanderlei Silva. It seemed inevitable that the bad guy and the axe murderer would eventually meet. When Sonnen was going scorched earth on Brazil in the lead-up to his bouts with Anderson Silva, Vandy took issue with it, and thus the seeds were sown. They would continue to grow, with Chael calling for a fight with Silva after his defeat of Shogun Hua. In late 2013, it was announced that the two would have their fight after they coached a season of Tough Brazil. Everything was chugging along nicely. The season even had this amazing brawl between the two. But then it all fell apart. First, Vandy got a lifetime ban over not taking a random drug test for NSAC. Then Sonnen failed a pair of tests right after that and retired. Well, fuck, guys. Thanks for the buildup. But of course, the ban wasn't for life and neither was the retirement. Unfortunately, though, we wouldn't end up getting to see this fight until it happened three whole years later in Bellator. The steam was gone and the fight was not competitive, with Silva having no answer for Chael's wrestling, what could have been one of the most heated fights in history ended up being so much less when it was all said and done. Number 6. Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate If you want fans to be so sick of your rivalry that they just want the damn fight to happen so it'll be over, coach tough together because the massive overexposure of your animosity will almost guarantee it. It was already well established that Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate were not best friends prior to the start of Season 18 of The Ultimate Fighter. Rousey took Tate's title in Strikeforce, they'd said some not-so-nice things about each other, and when it was announced the two would be coaching tough, there was a buzz as Ronda was quickly growing in popularity, and she now had a legit rival to feed off of for a whole season on television. Lucky us, right? Not really. The beef ended up being more off-putting than anything, and actually ended up backfiring on Rousey, who many fans turned on following a season full of pettiness between the two coaches, with Ronda often portrayed in a negative light. Now, of course, it's reality TV and heavily edited, but that's what fans were being fed each week. It really soured the build-up to their rematch, not to mention how prolonged these builds feel as every episode of Tough is a mini-ad for the upcoming bout. UFC 168 would end up being the most competitive fight Rousey had had up to that point, and the only one that went more than a round 
around. What could have ended on a high note afterwards and made the season's drama feel less exhausting only exacerbated it when Ronda refused to shake Misha's hand following the fight. Ah, jeez, okay then. Probably for the best, we never got that trilogy fight. Number 5. Tito Ortiz and Ken Shamrock It's certainly one of the most important rivalries in the sport's history, but what makes it perfect for this list is that there was just way too much of a good thing. Every bout was successful, fans at the time were very into it, but in retrospect, everything beyond the first fight was just nonsense, and it only got more tiring as things went on. The rivalry between Ortiz and the Lion's Den was one of the great stories of the early UFC, and to finally get a bout between Tito and Ken at UFC 40 was a big deal. The card's success a massively important moment for the budding Zufa UFC. The reality of that fight, though, was that Shamrock, who had come out of retirement just two years previous, was way past his prime, and he'd not had a significant win in six years, which is why a prime Ortiz absolutely dog-walked him. This should have been the end of this thing, but a whole four years later, the beef was still popular enough to warrant a tough season and a rematch. Ken was now 42, and here's where things just got stupid. Tito pretty much put the fight away in the first minute, but because the stoppage was maybe slightly early, and Shamrock put on a big drama show over it, we had to have a third fight just a few months later. It would pretty much be an instant replay of 61, with the ref letting it go on long enough for people to shut up about the stoppage. Again, it did massive ratings, but the reality of this thing is that it shouldn't have been happening in the first place, and by the time that third fight came around, it was beyond overdone by the UFC. Number 4. John Jones and Daniel Cormier What should have been one of the all-time great rivalries in sports history, with two of the greatest ever competing in their primes against each other, ended up being one of the most frustrating and unsatisfying we've ever seen. The build-up to the first fight between John Jones and Daniel Cormier at UFC 182 was fantastic. Chef's kiss. It had been building since it was clear DC was heading for the UFC from Strikeforce. The two had genuine heat and it showed. The press conference brawl. The ESPN hot mic. It was one of the most anticipated fights ever. And while it wasn't as competitive as fans had wanted, it happened and there was a clear winner. Then John Jones' life fell apart completely and really soured the rest of this rivalry. First, there was the hit and run arrest, which would see the champ stripped, leaving DC to claim the division's title. This re-sparked the rivalry and could have culminated in a classic showdown once JBJ returned. The reason it ended up being exhausting is because that damn return took forever. First, he comes back and DC's injured, so Jones fights OSP for some reason for interim gold. Okay, that's fine, I guess. Biggest rematch ever will now take place at UFC 200. Just kidding, John Jones pops for PEDs right before the card, fights off, John suspended and stripped again. See ya in over a year. Now UFC 214 is the show. John actually makes it to the card. The fight is interesting. It ends in dramatic fashion. John reclaims his throne and apparently is getting his life back on track. What a moment. Nope, we can't even have that. Another post-fight drug fail. John is stripped again. The win is overturned and feels tainted. And then we never got a resolution. They would never fight again, but they would go on and continue to be bitter rivals. This one should have been the jewel in the sports crown. And instead, it was just a huge mess. Number three, Tim Sylvia and Andre Arlovsky. It's the title trilogy nobody wanted, but there was really not much choice. The early 2000s were a weird time for the heavyweight division in the UFC. Once the promotion's prestige weight class, it felt like the level of competition had decreased dramatically with the exit of Randy Couture to 205, and the incredible talent competing in Japan that felt miles ahead of what the UFC had to offer. It was during this time that we got a trio of fights between Tim Sylvia and Andre Arlovsky. At the point of their first encounter, some people were already tired of the giant from MFS. He'd been stripped of the title when he popped dirty after UFC 44, and he'd lost another title fight with Frank Mir at 48. But with Mir's motorcycle accident, he found himself again getting a chance at gold in a shallow division, now taking on Arlovsky for the interim belt at UFC 51. The fight would have a shock finish when Pitbull subbed the Maniac in less than a minute's time. Just a little over a year later, they would meet again for real gold. There was just no other options, and Tim kept winning. The second fight's 
saw Sylvia get hurt bad early, but he would score the comeback TKO victory before the first ended. With Tim having recaptured the title, the pair were one and one. And without a bunch of other options, the third fight was set up. I don't think this trilogy would be as hated if 61 delivered, but it did not. The bout was a five-round snooze fest, and by the time Randy Couture came out of retirement to take the belt back from Sylvia, fans couldn't wait for the regime change. The pair would fight a fourth time six years later in one championship, but by that time, it was off a lot of fans' radars. Number two, Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal. What happens when two cartoon character-level personalities hate each other and are given microphones over and over and over and over and over again? You get the most exhausting rivalry in recent memory. Don't get me wrong, there was a lot to be intrigued about with Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal. They had a legitimately interesting story having lived and trained together. There was all that American Top Team drama. Two best friends turned enemies as they were rising up the ranks in the same division at the very same time. Hell, it's the kind of thing you might see in a movie, honestly. So yeah, to say that it wasn't intriguing would be a lie. It was incredibly compelling. The problem was the damn talking. All the talking. It never ended. Two whole years of hearing these two go on and on about each other. They had 5,200 interviews apiece and largely had the very same things to say in each and every one of them. Street Judas. Baptism. American Trash Team. Journeyman crotch sniffer. All this petty stuff. And all done in this over-the-top manner they're both known for. And that was all just in the lead-up to fight week. By the time the damn fight happened, I just wanted things to end in any way, shape, or form. And of course, because the fight went how it went, both sides still hate each other, nobody got finished, there's no resolution, and now look, they're fighting at steakhouses, people are getting arrested. We get it, you hate each other. Can we just please move on? This one's gonna continue for years to come, I have no doubt. I just hope we never have to hear about it in the cage anymore at the very least. Number 1. TJ Dillashaw and Team Alpha Male Is there anything more exhausting than personal petty drama playing out in public? And for years, too! After Dwayne Ludwig left Team Alpha Male and eventually TJ Dillashaw joined him, a prediction made by Conor McGregor famously on Tough that only made this whole thing blow up even bigger, the issues between the two parties would end up being at the forefront of the Bantamweight division's title picture for way too long. Dillashaw left Alpha as champ, and so of course there were bad feelings all around about it. Ludwig and TJ would say something about TAM, Justin Buckles and Uriah Faber would say something back, constant bickering in interviews and on podcasts about who screwed over who, who was really a jerk. When TJ lost the title to Dom Cruz, Faber got the next shot and that somehow also had something to do with Dillashaw. Their bullshit was bleeding into everything. Then TAM's Cody Garbrandt gets the belt. TJ's up next. Instead of just getting the fight, let's have a whole fucking season of tough to air out more of our bullshit because this wasn't already exhausting enough. Team Alpha Male's releasing gym footage of the two sparring before their fight, everybody starts taking really personal shots, talking about PEDs, talking about injuring training partners. It was just an absolute mess. And it was all playing out right in front of us. Even after the pair of fights between TJ and Cody, things didn't end. Just last year, Faber was talking about getting a fight with TJ. I just don't care anymore. It's gone on too long. Everybody just chill. Huge shout out to Max Randall for editing this video together. Follow him on Twitter at Max underscore Randall. A big, big thank you to Ben Rosette, who provided that sweet tune you heard in the intro. Check out his music by clicking the link in the description and go give him a follow on his Instagram and Twitter page at Ben Rosette. Thanks for watching. Please give us a like and subscribe. We've got three new videos or more for you every single week. Let us know what you thought of the video in the comments below. Follow On Point MMA on Twitter and have yourself a wonderful day.